Welcome back to the You Never Know podcast. Our guest today, he is an award-winning stand-up comedian, writer, storyteller, and host. He has been featured on the likes of Comedy Central, Amazon Prime, Vice, and PBS. He is gas store Amonti. How we doing? Yeah, what's going on? Danger. Yes, sir. <laughs> what's good, homie? How you been? Uh, you know, hanging in there. How you been? I'm always good. I'm always good. Excited to chill with y'all over there. Where are you at right now, Gastor? Uh, I'm uh, I'm based of and at uh, Brooklyn, New York right now. Okay. Okay. Nice. How you been there all all your whole life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did a couple of years in Queens, but yeah, I've been uh, New York centric the whole time. All right. I guess I see the the Brooklyn Nets hat. So <laughs> always, always repping, man. I ain't subtle at all. Are you a Yankees yeah. fan or a Mets guy? Yankees. Yankees. All right. All right. Have to yeah, tell Webby. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a weird time, though. We got, like, another team in town with money. You know, that's kind of, like, weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. You huh? know? We're going to compete now for people. that Because that, that's kind of the whole dynamic. Like, uh, New Yorkers are, like, uh, they're, like, Jets, Mets, and Knicks, and, uh, like, Nets fans usually. And then, like, usually it's uh, Yankees, Nets, and Giants, and uh, Giants. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, kind of divided. You know, like, uh, Rangers and Yankees fans tend to go together. Islander and Mets fans go together. And it's a personality type thing. I'm convinced. Like, it's people that like are uh, like rooting for the underdog. So those are like the Mets fans, the Islanders, the Jets fans, yeah. and then like the Yankees and Giants have been like traditionally like uh, like the bullies growing up. Like they just always win, you know. And I've been that. Admittedly, I'm okay with that. I own it. I'm in a different place in life. I'm a nicer person. But growing up, you know, that's how I identified. That was my squad. Yeah. So yeah, I picked up the Nets. They were like the local losers to like become a better person. You know, I feel but like. uh, they started winning, too. So I don't know what to do now. You know, <laughs> for real. Everybody loves a good underdog story. That's it. You know, they're good for movies, but bad in real life. I don't want to actually live that. So uh, <laughs> I chose better teams. That's sweet. Right on, man. Well, uh, you're talking about, you know, Brooklyn and stuff. Let's jump right into it. Born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, what's that just kind of like growing up in, in New York? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's dope, man. Uh, it is. uh it is one of one. Um, in part, I, I just came from like hanging out out there with y'all at in Boise, and uh, I like you have to understand. Like, I think most of the country is way more similar to where you guys are. Right. But I've been in New York so long that when I go to places like that, it doesn't feel real. You know, like the whole like it took me three days to not think I was on a movie set. You know, <laughs> like. Boise has all the buildings that like New York has. It's just there's no people there. I don't know how things get done. Like, I know you guys are there. You don't understand how weird it is to go into a Chipotle three different times and always be your turn. You know, I've never had that in my life. I've always dealt with lines. I'm always like fourth down. You go to a Chipotle in New York. It is like efficiency to the max. There's 14 people in that line, and when it's your turn, you better be ready. There's pressure, okay, because there's people behind you. We ain't got time for questions. Bowl of rap, let's go, you know? So there's I no, showed up uh... to the Chipotle at your town, and, like, it was beautiful. They they were offering me options. They had four people waiting just for me. I felt like they worked the whole eight hours hoping that somebody would show up. It's more of like a, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Not a, yo, come on, get down the line. Let's Let's move it here. Yeah, it was beautiful. I got full service. They explained to me about the new chicken. 
He apologized because <laughs> they didn't have lettuce and offered me guacamole on the house. It was crazy. It was a fantasy. I don't believe it was real to this day. <laughs> I was uh, going to ask you about that. What did you What did you think of coming out to Boise? Was this your first time? Yeah, it was my first time out there, man. I uh, I think it is legitimately not a real town. I don't I don't uh, it's a bunch of NPCs. not that like uh, what was that? Just a bunch of NPCs out here, just like a simulation. Seriously, B, you you guys live in the Sims. It is the most beautifully <laughs> like decorated city ever. You're not gonna you, move I, here, right? I would love to, but like I I, I don't know. Like I, you three are the first three people I met that didn't work at this Chipotle. <laughs> like there was no one there. It was empty, beautiful houses all over the place. I don't know how the businesses sustain themselves, but it was gorgeous. It is clearly like not a real city. Like it is. I, I dealt with like beautiful spring weather, uh, mostly sunlight. It rained for like ten minutes one of the nights, and you could somehow deal with that and also look at snow on top of the mountains on the horizon. That doesn't make sense. That shouldn't be together. You shouldn't see snow on mountains and sunlight all at once. You guys aren't in a real place. It's not real. The, it, it, after college, I know you guys are young. When you leave and see the rest of the world, you will see how spoiled you were there in Boise. <laughs> it's like yeah, the definitely. twilight zone here. You never know what you're yeah. going to get. Yeah, it, like, it snowed like two I days ago. Like, I just went, here. Yeah, I yeah. went snowboarding in like the middle of May two days ago. Was, I, was, you, I was surprised. I was like, I don't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> Seriously, this is how I know your lives have been good. You don't even sound impressed with that. Like, you're just like, yeah, you know, I, sure, I went snowboarding. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we got the mountains right there, so that's kind of just the luxury everyone like loves about Boise, though. Many blessings, man. Keep it going. Yeah, that shit is amazing. Yeah, man. Um, so to kind of just take it back a little bit, um, obviously you're you're a pretty successful stand up comedian these days. How did you kind of get? get that start into the stand-up world and who were some of your role models and what was that process like for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, the key to being a successful comedian is to be an unsuccessful one first. Uh, so I did that a lot. I, uh, I, uh, I started out actually, uh, by accident. I was a sales manager at PepsiCo. And, uh, when I got promoted to that job, uh, I, I wanted to get better at public speaking. Um, and I read an article in Inc. magazine about a bunch of CEOs who took stand-up classes to get better at doing presentations. Uh, so, yeah, I just took up a stand-up class at uh, at the local comedy club. Um, and at the graduation show, I had a really good set. And a lot of the comics that were upstairs uh, in the main room uh, came to hang out. And uh, they saw me perform. One of the comics uh, at the time was working his way up. He just got booked on his first TV show. But he was a grinder, a real good comic. And he pulled me aside. He's like, "Yo, how long you been doing comedy for?" I'm like, seven weeks." <laughs> He's like, "That's crazy." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he like kind of pushed me in his direction, and uh, I went home and uh, looked him up. I saw he was like a real comic, and uh, yeah, kind of just uh, got inspired to start doing this. That's pretty sweet. What's the comedy uh, class kind of like? Is it just going up on stage and trying it out, really, or do yeah, have- literally that? Like uh, they, uh, it kind of forces you to do the part that nobody likes to do about com- uh, from comedy, which is. Uh, performing in awkward and quiet places where uh, it's not quite as like luxurious and fancy. You know, you got to do like a lot of open mics. So it literally forces that like every week you had the right material and you would meet up. And the only people there were the other six people. And that's not as fun and as luxurious as like a comedy show that people imagine. But uh, those first few years when you're working and writing content, that's kind of the environment. So if you're okay with that, 
then you can kind of keep going forward. So uh, after like a month of the a month after the class, I'm the only I was the only person still doing it. So I knew that uh, everyone else found it uncomfortable and only did it for the experience, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like the craft and I like doing the work. And uh, here we are. Did they uh, did they teach you how to like when you write your material? Did they teach you kind of how to like learn it and let it like make it stick in your brain so you, you could go up and perform it? Nah, I would say more so the focus was on just uh, on learning to kind of like be yourself on stage and being comfortable in that setting. There's only so much you could do in seven weeks. Right. So like um, it wasn't more it wasn't like such a structured thing. Um, there's a lot of like uh, comedy schools that kind of like try to do like set up punchline stuff. And um, in my opinion, that doesn't really have the same value. You could kind of look that stuff up. Um, I appreciated that the. A uh, guy teaching is Jim Andrinos, who's actually a pretty solid comic himself. Um, and he said, listen, I already got seven weeks with you. The main thing I'm going to show you is, uh, you know, being comfortable on stage is going to take time. But if I could get you, you know, like six months in, in terms of the way you would normally look in these seven weeks, which is that idea being comfortable, being yourself on stage, I'll chalk that up as a win. And that's kind of it. Like you spend as much time as uh, as possible focusing in on being you. Uh, yeah, in terms of remembering the material, you know, you just kind of learn how to do that over time um, in different ways. Some people do it by like uh, making sure their jokes lead into other jokes. Um, I try to like always tell stories so that that way I can't kind of forget it. I'm going in order of what happened and I lived it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everyone else has like their own little rhythms. Uh, and also, it's not wrong forgetting jokes. I don't know if you've been to like a comedy like uh, taping anytime they tape like an hour like a real long special and it's like a big production, like a comedy central Netflix. If you're doing a long taping, they'll literally have a teleprompter uh, facing the comic that like usually has like a list of the joke, like uh, titles, uh, okay. you know, like we're, we're human. We forget, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like it happens and you'll literally see like, if you're depending on the angle, you can actually see the, the joke titles and the order they're coming in. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's systems to it. You know, like if you're doing like new jokes, uh, you'll see comics kind of like write them out and like tape them to the floor so that like it doesn't take away from the audience. Um, and then if you're like really like doing a new joke, you'll you know, I'm sure you've seen people with notepads. Sure. That's sure. pretty sweet for like when you're telling like a like certain joke that you've probably told at like many different comedy shows or something like that. Do you kind of change it up every time or is it always pretty, pretty crisp on like the whole storyline, I guess? Yeah, I mean, like the the highlights, the punchlines stay the same, but uh there's always like a little bit of like wiggle room in terms of what's happening in the room that day. Uh-huh. Um, definitely with like the like story stuff. And it's anytime it's a longer setup, I try to play with what's happening in the room. So like uh, the room will develop its own personality and there might be like an inside joke to happen that day in that room. If those things happen, I'll play with those more. Um, whereas if it's like a real tight setup punchline joke, um, those are kind of almost always the same because uh, the timing is so important on those things. You know, like if you see like someone like uh, like a Mark Norman, his jokes are like super precise. Mm. Um, so like with those jokes, I try to say them almost verbatim the same everywhere because the rhythm is really important to that. Okay, yeah. Just the whole the rest of your like set kind of feeds off of how you like present that one thing. Yeah, you got because, uh, uh, you know, like the, the whole set is like a work of art in itself, right? And like, Ideally, what you're doing as a comic is uh, you're setting up bigger and bigger and more complicated ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, the first like 10 minutes of like if I'm doing like an hour show, 
the first like 10 minutes of my like routine is me communicating to the audience. Hey, I'm funny. You could trust me. I'm gonna make <laughs> you laugh. Right. So I'm doing a lot of like little jokes mm-hmm. uh, just to get you comfortable with the idea that, oh, OK, I know what I'm doing. And the audience gets comfortable. They let loose. Once they know that they you've earned their like respect, then you could get into a bigger idea because it takes longer to set that up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and they'll go along for the ride with you now because they're like, oh, OK, I'm on board with this guy. He showed me he's funny. I'll take a little bit of a risk. Yeah. And that's why I like the biggest jokes are usually the last joke because it takes a long time to set up a long joke. But if I try that up top, I might not trust the comic enough to go along for that ride. Right. It's it's like a build up to to it kind of. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, is it when you're up there performing, obviously you have a lot of like stories and like jokes kind of already written up on the teleprompter or whatnot. How much of it, yeah. th- how much of it, though, is already like previously like written down and went over, you know what you're going to say versus like feeling the room, listening to the crowd and kind of just like improv. Yeah, man, it just depends on the day, right? Like uh, if I'm doing a taping, like if I'm on TV, that is almost all rehearsed, right? Because uh, there's like a aspect of they have to approve it. They got to know what they're like. You know, you sold that like set. Um, and uh, also because uh, when you're doing a taping, you're 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 acknowledging that while in every other scenario, the room is king. When you're doing a taping, the audience is actually the people at home. So you want to do stuff that translates to the person in their living room, not to this room per se. So like an inside joke that I might riff in here, they're not going to get that dynamic. They're not going to know what happened. So I, I stick to the script a lot more in the taping. Whereas like at a, if I'm like on tour, like if I'm hanging out at a club in Boise, I care about these 200 people that came to see me today. So I'll riff a lot more. Um, I'll purposely like hang out a ton and like get to know local things. And I might like, start the show just riffing about that. It's like talking about my fish out of water experience in your town that you guys are all familiar with to kind of bring us all together first before I bring you along to my world. You know what I mean? I want to create community first. Like, like you guys do the same, right? Like when we started talking, you wasn't like, yo, Gaston, uh, what happened to your parents when they was arguing in like, you know, 74 and they beat you and whatever. Like, it'd be crazy if you started with a deep question like that, right? Yeah. You ask normal questions first, we get to know me. We see if we build towards something intimate or revealing later. But yeah, you can't get out of pocket first. So uh right, yeah, we sure. start with traditional stuff. We talked about it like, oh, uh, we'll ask him about his name and his career up top and we'll see where it goes. Same yeah. idea. I was uh I was watching just a couple of your your YouTube clips that you know popped up with the like uh like the recommended ones and I liked your like opening line is when you said you're from Brooklyn and everyone clapped and you go, Yeah, you guys shouldn't be clapping for that. <laughs> that that killed me every time. I'm like, that's so funny because I guess Brooklyn probably isn't like the nicest part of New York, right? Yeah, in particular where I'm from. Like East New York has a a, a bit of a like a a rough edge reputation in particular. Uh currently, you know, Brooklyn's gone through like a bit of a renaissance. So um I would actually argue that Brooklyn now is a place that isn't that tough. Um, and it's uh, outside of Manhattan. It's like the most like known part of New York. But there's still pockets that like are indicative of like the Brooklyn that people still associate as like tough. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm from that part. So I purposely say East New York, Brooklyn to differentiate it, especially since. You know, New York and Brooklyn have kind of gotten a different rep over the last like decade. Sure. You know, like uh, like uh, if you watch like Girls on like HBO, for example, 
that Brooklyn is a very recent Brooklyn, right? Like okay. you don't mm-hmm. see like Jay-Z and Biggie rapping about that part of Brooklyn, right? Like that <laughs> it didn't exist, you yeah. know? So yeah, like that I try to differentiate it for that reason because it starts to set the reality of my world and my humor. I want them to know that this is the Brooklyn I'm talking about when I'm saying these jokes. Right. How has um, growing up in that part of Brooklyn helped shape your career and your material versus like if you grew up in Boise, Idaho, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, it it, it just, uh, it changes the experiences. I don't, I don't necessarily think that uh, any one experience is more valuable than the other. I think uh, the stuff that you guys are living in Boise is just as fascinating and, and interesting. Uh, but as you live it, it shapes your worldview. It shows you uh, there's an opportunity to learn good core values and to be a good person, regardless of whichever one you are. So my goal is to show you that I'm a good man. I'm married. I got kids. But I learned that through this particular weird world. You know, that's what's interesting to me. This is how I figured that out. But like it's it's different than how you would have learned it. So like that's kind of, I want to show the differences in terms of what Brooklyn has and what makes it unique. And I try to like bring people together by showing that we still kind of have the the same goals. We want to like, you know, be good people and move forward. So, you know, like I'll tell these wild stories about growing up in Brooklyn, but they're still always centered around like family. You know, what I mean, like uh, the stories that's like you'll see like on YouTube uh, from Comedy Central is usually like centered around like my dad or like my cousins or uh, me trying to do something for my wife, but they're very much only possible in Brooklyn, you know? Okay. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you get something like that? Like, a, you know, your story or your background, how do you get that picked up by comedy central or, or Amazon prime? Do they come to you? Do you come to them? Is it kind of about who, you know, how'd that come about? Yeah. I mean, uh, all of that. Yeah. It just depends on the dynamic. Um, some of them, uh, like the very first time I got on, uh, on, on a TV situation, um, was uh the first this is not happening appearance um that's uh i told a story about uh wanting to be uh batman because my cousins were scaring me a lot right <laughs> so uh they would wear like this weird joker mask and like you know jump out from behind places and uh yeah so like I, yeah it was just like constant from like age five and on so like i uh i was doing that story on stages in new york and uh, the host of the show uh, was a comic, uh, uh, Ari Shafir. And uh, he uh, literally posted on Facebook amongst his friends. He was like, hey, listen, um, I am taping season three of my show on Comedy Central. And I booked all of my friends. Great stories. But uh, I'm looking for more diversity. So I'm looking for women, any BIPOC uh, storytellers, people of color. And a lot of comics had seen me tell that story and recommended me. Um, admittedly, like in terms of like uh, notoriety and uh, experience, I was really green at the time, but I had this one story really like well structured and prepared and people believed I could deliver it. They mentioned me and uh, that's how it happened. Um, other stuff has been like since then I've built the rep and I've kind of gotten known. So now the other thing happens. People will reach out. Hey, we think you'll be a good fit for this. Come through. So. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of everything there. It just depends on the situation. What did you, you like? always need uh, advocates? You know what I mean. But uh, yeah. also, your work speaks for you too. What did you What did you like working like more the Comedy Central like TV side or more of the Amazon Prime like special? Or those um, kind of in the same boat? Yeah, I mean, it's different. I enjoyed them both for different reasons. So uh, when I put out my special, um, 
Immigrant Made was dope to me because it was my own vision. Like, it was my full own hour. Um, I self-funded it and got it, like, uh, picked up. So that was a big part of it. It was, like, my own execution of a vision. Um, I also see the flaws in it. Like, I was broke when I shot that thing. So, like, I see it now, and I'm like, damn, I wish I had a better camera. Like, I know I could afford that today, you know? Like, (laughs) I shot that thing on, like, Sony, like, A7s. You know, like, now, like, those are, like, you know, far, like, surpassed by what's possible. So yeah, uh, there's an aspect of... uh, knowing that like, I kind of like grinded that out and it's open doors for me that I, I'll always hold dear. And uh, I appreciate that night. Um, also like uh, it was in, in my home turf. I shot that in New York. Uh, so I did it in two tapings. So half of the people were people that were genuine fans. The other half was like my crew, like people just came out to show love. So it was a big like celebration of my work. So in that way, I love that night. And I love that recording um, by the same token, like, uh, the Comedy Central thing, that was like my first time on TV um, that like brought validity to me. Um, you know, like uh, this is a crazy job idea. And until you get on TV, everything about it sounds stupid to your family. Like I'm going to go to a bar, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell jokes, I'm going to make $20, you know, and I'm going to waste like four hours of our night. I'm not going <laughs> to see the kids tonight. None of that makes sense. What does that? Yeah, right. It's insane. But getting that shot on TV uh, made it valid to my parents, made it valid to like my wife's friends. It made it easier to say, oh, my husband's a comic. My dad's a comic. My son's a comic. And they, when they ask like, oh, for real, like what, what has he done? They can actually point to something that held weight. Um, so yeah, like there's an importance to that too, that, uh, I'll hold dear. And, uh, just as a fan, like I got to like hang out with my idols for the first time, you know, like That's as pretty a peer. Sweet. Can you, can yeah, you name man. drop any, any people that you hung out with? Well, I mean, at that taping, uh, you know, like you had uh, Ari, like I said, Ari hosted. I've uh, chilled with Roy Wood Jr. a lot. Ali Sadiq was there. Uh, Joey Diaz was at my taping. Um, yeah, it was just a fun day in general. Like, I'm, you've seen the show uh, roughly yeah. one fifth of that group each season taped on my day. That's so like, sweet. yeah, like it's just a fun night. Like you're. You're hanging out with the all stars essentially. So and is that kind of more of a do they kind of feed off each other too? I'm sure in that setting where it's like, you know, maybe they hear one of your punchlines like, oh, like maybe I'm gonna take a little bit inspiration from his and kind of use it and implement it in, in my punchlines. Well, and 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 the day of the taping, it's more so like uh I would say it's a general celebration. Okay. Cause like uh at a club you have a lot more of that of like, oh, this guy's working on something dope. And like we kind of check in to see who's doing what. Um, and it kind of inspires you to write something new. But uh, when we get something on television, um, we know the work that goes into, like, crafting a story for those moments um, and the general work in, that we put in to become successful comics. So when you're at those places and also even afterward when it premieres, um, we kind of just get together and celebrate as a community because it's just like it's a win for all of us. You know, like Heck you yeah. have comics that you came up with that are your friends. So when that thing airs, your boys are all celebrating with you at the bar at the day of the taping. Uh, when you're in the green room and you're seeing your friend go up on stage and tell an awesome story. Or in my case, I was a comic they hadn't heard of. They saw this new kid tell a story. Yeah, the I got back off stage. Yeah, they were like, yo, I don't know who you are, but that was awesome. You got a great future. You know, hearing that from like your idols, that felt amazing. Um, So, uh, yeah, I would say it's a lot more that it's real celebratory. 
uh, there's far more community than I think people realize. Just, and it's a pretty, it has to be a pretty tight knit community. I mean, especially in today's world where like, you know, there's the cancel culture and stuff like that. Cause a lot of comics, obviously they, a lot of people take it over the edge, right. And they say that edgy stuff, but you know, you guys are doing it for entertainment purposes. All right. Right. And so you guys have to all support each other. There's no really rivalries in, in com- the comic community. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, for the most part, uh, most of us uh, kind of know what we put into the craft and the only real like quote unquote rivalry would just be between jokes. Like, yeah, Oh, like, I love the joke. This guy wrote, I want to outdo harder. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like, I, I, I never, it never comes from a place of malice. Like I hope you tell the best jokes ever. Yeah. Cause if I tell a better joke, that means I became a better comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, sure. I, I don't really hold, I'm no, I don't have a beef with anybody. Um, and there was, I think there was a time where like you had people that had issues with each other. Sure. Uh, but uh, that's kind of gone away for a lot of reasons, right? Like there's more, there's more avenues now. So like we can all win without taking somebody else's food. Yeah. You know, before there was only like four sitcom deals and like one late night spot on one late night show. Now like now there's like five Johnnies or whatever. You know, you five. got Jimmy's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was yeah, like Schultz. a lot of that has changed it. Andrew, was Schultz, that Andrew Schultz was talking about that where it's like he was like, well, forget me getting my own Netflix special. He's like, I'll just go to YouTube and just kill it on my own. And now his own podcast is killing it. His like crowd work specials are killing it. Like it's like, dude, like you put in the he's not even doing the, you know, big name stuff. And Andrew Schultz is is killing it now. Yeah, he's eating. That boy's eating real good right now. Yeah. I'll make have steak every day for the rest <laughs> of his life. For real. I, bet he, I bet he is. Oh, yeah. I actually like uh like he's someone that uh, I would say he's like a class or two, quote unquote, ahead of mine because um, he started comedy earlier. But like I told I bumped into him um, and I'm sure he won't remember this because I wasn't as far along. But I bumped into him uh, right before my album was coming out because uh, our albums were going to come out on the same record label. OK, so I bumped into him at an elevator because we were going to go record podcasts at the studio and i said hey you don't know me my name's gaston i just want you to know i know you got the throne right now but i'm coming for it but i respect <laughs> what you do you know and yeah. what do you say it, that hey he, he laughed he's <laughs> like that's what's up and he, he asked my name and that was it and i'm sure he won't necessarily register that as like a diss because i know how he thinks he thinks yo i want the throne and i want it from the best yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't a, I hope you fail, because I don't. I want that dude to get all the W's. Yeah. Because yeah. then in turn, if I come for the throne, you know I earned it. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And in turn, I know I want him to shine because he reps a lot of what I rep. He's a dope New York-style comic. I hope he gets all the W's. Yeah. But I do want the throne, just to be clear. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> but how long did it take um, from the time you were doing, like, the uh, comedy uh, or the stand-up comedy kind of courses and stuff right after you quit your one job and then, you know, going to the comedy central and working for people like that. Yeah. I mean, Oh, first of all, that, that sounded terrible. That sounded like I failed in life. I have, I've had more than one job. I'm a successful <laughs> adult. Okay. Well, right. No, I just meant, I meant <laughs> but like when you first started in comedy to where you are now, like working for comedy central and stuff like that, how long was that process? Yeah. I mean, uh, my first appearance on comedy central was, uh, about three years into comedy. I don't think that's norm. I don't think that that was a lot of, uh, a lot of blessings and luck involved with that, to be clear. Like so you're uh, saying that was quick. You were on the fast. Yeah, track. that was quick. I would okay. say most comics, like I would say you are a genuinely dope comic somewhere between like year five and 10. 
uh, depending on like a lot of factors. You can definitely be great um, really early on. And there's people that are, um, in my opinion, I had a great one set, like one story that was perfect, but as a comic, I still wasn't there yet. Um, so I was blessed with that. I got an early appearance, but I think I, I developed a lot more since then. And I, I feel far more comfortable, like in my skin, but, uh, to answer your question, like, uh, three years in for the first one. Um, and now like I regularly do work with them. It's I'm nine years in, I would say somewhere like around year six or seven, um, was kind of like a point where like the industry is like constantly like hitting me up for different types of work. Right. The reason I ask is because I was curious if there was like a culture shock from kind of just working small shows, your name's not really out there yet to, you know, being featured on comedy central and stuff like that. Or was it something you kind of expected and manifested in your head? Yeah, uh, a mixture of that. Uh, I think uh, in terms of manifestation, um, there was a little bit more of that than I think most comics because uh, I I got into comedy already married and with kids. So, like, I had to, like, approach it business-wise, like, differently. You know, this wasn't like a, a dream that I can, like, uh, approach with uh, infinite time. I had like a window that like I told my wife, like, yo, if this ain't working, I got to go back to regular work. Um, so when I got it, I was happy, but I was also like, cool. What next? This is the process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of that. Uh, but also, you know, the, 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 it's, it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a dream. So like you don't really know when those things are going to happen. The, the, there's as much as like you could plan and all of that jazz. It just kind of lands when it lands. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, there's no firm answer to that, homie. <laughs> it just yeah. kind of comes when it comes. Sure. Right. Cause when we were kind of doing like research and stuff on you before, before the, this episode, we were looking at like your YouTube clips that comedy central posted and there was a yeah. couple with over 3 million views and then one with like 500,000. Was that a big yeah. shock to you seeing your own content that you created blow up like that? Um, I wouldn't say shock. I would say it's more of a blessing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of it. But uh, I do believe I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad people are seeing it. Um, if anything, I think more people should know about me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely. happy that people are seeing my work. I'm happy that uh, that's the case. But uh, I would I, I, I don't think that. Uh, I think that that's the case because I've done work like I, I would have been shocked year one if I got that because I didn't deserve it back then. Um, I've done real work since then to do that. And to get that kind of attention um, from when I post something um, like the clip that got uh, the half a million views. That's from this uh, earlier, like this year. Right. It's like uh, one of the recent Comedy Central clips. Yeah, it was like I think I three had, months ago. Yeah. So like there's jokes there that like are three, four years old. Right. And I've on top of that, I've been doing comedy nine years. So I hope they freaking work. I hope <laughs> yeah, I have right. a million people. That's what you've that. been doing for nine years. Yeah. So, yeah OK. That you makes know, sense. like. It's polished. Like, I would hope it works, you know? So yeah, just took a uh, while to get to everyone. Exactly. It yeah. took uh, the right, like, combination of circumstances for a network to, uh, to like, a network scout to reach out to me and want to put this piece in their project. Uh, so, yeah, it came out. I'm glad people are seeing it and uh, connecting with it and enjoying it. But uh, I, I, I ain't shocked by the response because I believe in the content I'm doing. I really do believe it'll connect with people. Um, and uh, I hope I get more of that being frank. Yeah, you said that those jokes in that that clip was were three to four years old. How often do you update like your content or your you know material? Yeah. Um. In terms of uh, 
I would say like if you come to my shows in general, you'll probably see something new every year. Okay. I do. I try to write like 45 to an hour uh, yearly of uh, material. And in terms of uh, stuff that gets up on, on, on the television, it'll, I rarely try to repeat stuff. If it's been elsewhere, it does happen on occasion. If like uh, two different networks agree to certain at the same time, like there's stuff from that set that was on uh, like the Amazon thing and vice versa, but it just, it takes a while for things to come out. Um, but yeah, like I try to like write constantly just cause that's the craft, you know? Yeah. Um, if I'm not writing, I run out of material. It's no longer fun, you know? And, uh, I no longer get money, you know? Cause if like, like if you're a fan of mine and I did the hour and you see it online, like, Oh, this guy's awesome. Then you come see me and I do the exact same hour. You won't pay to see me twice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want you to like, know that if you come to my show at the very least, there's going to be like half hour of new content. Um, after you came to see me specifically that I'm doing, you know, For sure. um, so yeah, I, I, I try to work with that in mind. I want the audience to know that there's something that I'm always crafting. That's pretty cool. How long does it take you to usually write like a whole new hour? And like, what's your kind of like process going about it? Are you like feeding it off your family and stuff to see if they like it first or things like that? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, overall it takes like about like eight to nine months of, uh, heavy, like prep work. And then another like three months of like really like uh focused prep in terms of the performance end of it. So like on any given week, I probably write like 10 minutes of quote unquote new content. And I'll spend the week here in New York uh, doing like all these like mini 10 to 15 minute slots on different shows, workshopping it. And it kind of whittles down to a really good three to five minutes. Okay. And I'll slowly add to that catalog. And by the end of the year, I'll end up with like roughly an hour. Okay. okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So like if I feel good about what I have and uh, at the end of the year, uh, I'll kind of look at all the content together. And if it works well together, uh, I'll start considering like recording an album or what usually happens is uh, like I've put out one album and I've done like a couple of TV things. Um, it's because like when I looked at that year's hour, I felt like it wasn't a cohesive hour, but there was a cohesive 15. So I'll offer that 15 to like a TV show. Okay. Uh, and then I'll keep the rest until like I have a whole new hour of content that works together for the next album. How much of your stuff, like, you know, when you were first starting is recorded, can you like go back and kind of like look at any of that stuff or was you were, you know, doing so like low budget or low scale comedy clubs that, you know, it's kind of just history. Yeah. In terms of video, uh, I don't have much in terms of audio. I would say I have almost every set I've ever done. Damn, that's pretty oh, sweet. That's awesome. You yeah, that? I, uh, I make it a point. Like, every time I get on stage to, like, hit record on my phone, because that's how I get better. I uh, I, I, li- I literally record the set. Uh, then uh, as I'm driving or, like, taking the train to the next show, I'm playing the previous set. And I do that the whole night. And I'm, like, readjusting the set. Like, oh, this joke didn't work here. Let me try this line. And then by the end of the night, I've heard the jokes four times, performed them four times. And I have a really good idea of what's working and whatnot. And now I have a new agenda for the next day. Like, all right, this is what didn't work. This is what did work. Let me make these adjustments. Try it again in a different way. Try it in a different order. And by the end of the week, I have a pretty good idea about that three to five minutes. Are you doing comedy seven days a week? Uh, Not seven, but close. Uh, I'd probably say like five to six now. Before the quarantine, it was. 
Um, but uh, during the like lockdown, I you know I gained a lot of value in being around my wife and kids more. I like them. It turns out they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I've uh, I've made it a point to stay home one one day a week minimum. Um, but yeah, before that, it was definitely like nightly. I made sure to like get up every day. Uh, but yeah, I, I I do value staying home. Um, and doing that once a week, but uh, I'm also blessed. I have to say, like now, like you know, I have enough like credits that I can get up every night. You know, like that's not an option necessarily for everybody. The first few years, so early on, I made it. I made it a point to go out every night because I ne- I didn't necessarily have the spots. I wanted sure. to be in the scene, being uh, you know, connecting with people, uh, seeing people that were doing inspiring work, being supportive of my friends. Um, and you know, if you're not visible, you're not going to get booked. So I was literally just going out there, shaking hands, talking to people. And then there was like an era where I got booked anytime I wanted. And after years of not getting booked, I didn't say no to anything. So I, yeah, those were seven days a week, insane weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, unless I'm getting ready for like a recording of some sort, I I won't do that anymore. What's been your favorite place you've been like booked or, or you've performed at? Uh, I mean, in New York, um, the place that meant the most to me was uh, the first time I did uh, uh, the Bell House in Union Hall. Those two venues uh, are huge in Brooklyn. And uh, the Bell House, the reason it meant a lot to me was because uh, it was the show that I had to do before getting my first TV thing. So, like, uh, they kind of saw my story there for the first time after hearing it. And uh, I kind of got the co-sign there. So even though there are bigger clubs that I perform at, um, that, that venue meant a lot to me because of what it is. And I still do a monthly show there now. Um, and the bell house is similar. Like it's kind of like their bigger club. Uh, so like it meant a lot because, uh, the same guys Ari came back to do a second set of shows. Uh, but this time I was one of the guys, whereas the other time I was the rookie. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Cause you know, I remember the previous year coming to this show and just like sitting in a corner and just watching everybody, (laughs) uh mingle and now like this time i was one of the crew so uh yeah those venues like always hold a dear spot for me man have you done stuff out in like la mm-hmm. is there uh is there a, a comical difference between doing a show in la versus new york like do you kind of have to adjust your your material there's a nuance almost anytime you go to a new place right like uh there's small things that uh, are so particular to where you live that you have to be aware you're not talking to inside baseball. Um, so, like, you know, for example, there's only so much I could talk about trains in Boise. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, you're not going to get the nuance of, like, day-to-day MTA life in New York. Yeah, no. Uh, so I make it a point to, like, kind of be aware that uh, if there's a, a reference I'm making that's ultra-specific to my neighborhood, I either have to do a better job of explaining it or consider other material. Um, like I know uh, when uh, I did my first taping, there's a, a line that I mentioned about Snapple and I know Snapple as a New York company. So I got hyper nervous because it didn't occur to me until the day of the taping that I was going to say this to an LA audience. And I had no idea if they drank Snapple in LA, you know, and that sounds ridiculous, but like, I, I, it never, you know, like it's not like Pepsi or Coke. It's not yeah, a huge yeah. company. So I went to like four stores and of course, like my terrible luck, none of them had Snapple. So I was like in my head now, like, Oh my God, no one here is going to get this reference. And it's key to the story. 
But uh, yeah, I went into a right aid and he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, "Of course we have Snapple. What are you stupid? Of course, huge brand." <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah, but all yeah, the drink like, is Voss water out in LA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, like stuff like that will come up where like uh, you have to be like aware of like the nuances. Uh, like there's a, a big one that comes up is like fast food chains. Like I'll reference like White Castle. That's a very uh, hardy northeast thing, right? Exactly. Like Arby's versus uh. What is it? Uh, there's I know there's uh Checkers and uh, uh Checkers has like a similar brand, like another company. They're like partners shake? with. Is it that? It might be Steak and Shake. Yeah, there's like a, a a company that like they sell the exact same menu, but in another state they go by another name. Yeah. Um. Okay. But yeah, stuff like that will come up. Like I can't make like in and out jokes everywhere. They won't get the menu. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know what I mean, uh, what a burger. Those are very regional things. So. Yeah. Stuff like that comes up. But uh, outside of that, like, uh, if you're doing human experience jokes, people relate. Like, people get you, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, references I try to be aware of. But jokes are jokes. People laugh, you know? Speaking of In-N-Out, yeah. just off-topic question real quick. Are you an In-N-Out or Shake Shack guy or Whataburger, I guess? Of those three, I would go with Whataburger. Really? Then Shake Shack. And I think In-N-Out is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the same way. I don't like <laughs> In-N-Out. I think it's yeah, right. I, I, I think it's very well-made bland food like it looks neat <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah. i have never liked the burger from there once i'm sorry you said out of those three is there one that i i left out is there uh oh uh, my preference would be a uh, smash burger followed by five guys okay okay yeah i okay. can get on yeah, that train. choice yeah yeah those are my one too and i'm sure that's controversial <laughs> i don't care send all the emails you want okay yeah. i'll fight y'all <laughs> well, everybody uh, who goes to Boise State is mostly from California, and in and outs like their their pride and oh joy. My God, they love so it. if you yeah. bring up like, oh, it's terrible, like I don't like going to In and Out when I'm in California, you get shit on by those guys. It's like you're saying their state sucks, and like they take it personal out here. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm, it I'm, is. It's a big thing. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. huge. I'm from the Bay. But I don't really hop on that train. Don't want to stand out too much in Idaho. You know, <laughs> there's already a prejudice against all the Californians out here. You try, uh, you try raising canes. I have not. How is that? It's the best. Yeah. yeah. It's better than Chick-fil-A. Easy. Okay. Okay. Easy money. See, I'm not a big Chick-fil-A guy either. I don't okay. like I, I feel like of the chicken sandwiches, that's also the worst of them. I think Popeye's bodies them dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, KFC you know, like, bodied Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't, I don't even think they're in the running. Okay. You know? But you have my commitment. I will be back in Boise probably within the, the next six months. There's whatever show, whatever stage I'm on, I will make it a point to mention that In and Out is trash. Yes, please <laughs> you know? do. There's probably a you, lot of Californians you, at that show. Thank let, you. let us know where you're in town. We'll come to that show for sure. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We'll do it up. We got you. Um, but kind of just going back. So you are you have you been on the road a lot during your career? And if so, what's it kind of like being on tour, being away from the family? What's it like traveling all the time? Yeah, um, I started to do a lot more road work right uh, before, like, the lockdown. So uh, it, it's uh, it, it was exciting because it was my first time really, like, out touring. Um, prior to that, I would do, like, one-offs, go, like, for a weekend or so. But uh, uh, I right before the, the quarantine, I did about a three-month run um, through New England all the way down through the East Coast. And uh, it was exciting because it, it felt good to know that people had heard of me. People were coming out to see me specifically. Um, and, uh, kind of learning some of the stuff that I just talked about with you guys that my jokes work outside of New York. Like I, I, I knew innately that people would laugh, but 
you know, you have to really experience that. Like, oh, are these yeah. people that aren't like one of us are going to connect to us. That would be you know, huge. it was a room, you know, so it meant a lot to me to kind of just people kind of get funny and uh, people are bond with your stories. Everybody got family and everyone kind of gets that. Those are universal uh, things. So, yeah, it uh, it meant a lot. Um, admittedly, like it becomes a challenge. You're know, like, I- I'm married. I got two kids. I love spending time with them. But. I, this is how I eat. This is how they eat. So, you know, like uh, it's an opportunity that I didn't have before and I couldn't say no to because of the money. So uh, it's something that uh, was difficult in particular towards the end. You know, like I, I want to be involved with stuff. I, I missed the uh, parent teacher meetings, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's different. Um, ironically, I probably missed the more challenging part of it because uh, I went in with like kids and like, after the lockdown, my, now my, my my daughter is 13 and my son is 12. So, like, now if I leave, they don't care. They're like, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, we can handle this. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, now, like, if I'll, I'll tour, like, their only questions is, is like, where? Because they'll, they'll want to know if they want, if they should come, you know? Yeah. So, like, if I, when I, next time I'm going to LA, I've been not so subtly told that all four people are coming. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, just confirming they, they, their flight ticket. Exactly. They're like, yeah, we'll be there, too. I'd love to see that area. So, uh, you know, stuff like that. They were they weren't on board with Boise until I sent pictures. Then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, when are you going to Boise? It's all those mountaintop pictures and it changed everything. Yeah, so, real. but yeah, like that's really the challenge is kind of like uh, balancing it. Um, I love what I do for a living, but outside of being a TV writer, in every other way, if you're a successful comic, it's not conducive to family life in a lot, you know? So um, until you're ultra successful, then you can kind of dictate things again. But uh, if you're like a grinding comic, you know, and you're out like, and you need to do road work, that, that doesn't really fit in with regular life. So uh, that would be a challenge normally going forward. But thankfully, my kids are a bit older. Um, and also, like, you know, I could probably bring my wife along for more stuff now. Uh, whereas before, like those first few years, like the gig pays well if I go alone. Like I can't spend the ticket and hotel money to bring three more people with me every time yeah. and make it profitable. So as that changes, uh, I think it'll be more fun for the fam and the kids. But uh, it is one of the challenges for sure. Yeah. Is there one specific show you did or even just like a venue while you're on the road outside of New York that stood out like that still stands out to you rather because the crowd was super hot or maybe it was a flop when you thought, you know, when it's your usual material. Is there one one show you did in particular that always stands out to you? Um, there's a venue that uh, I, I always enjoy, uh, Bucks County Playhouse, because uh, it's not a stand up venue. It is uh, it is. I believe it, I think that's Pennsylvania, New Jersey border. Um, okay. But uh, it is uh, famous because in like the late 1800s and early 1900s uh the best like actors would go there and kind of workshop plays before they ever became broadway plays that's pretty cool oh, that's pretty sweet yeah. yeah so like you go there and it's like this small local like community playhouse it seats like 200 people but like the wall is like the hall of fame of actors you know so um you know, you kind of get that like whole like there's legends in the room feeling when you're performing there. Mm-hmm. And usually when you get that, it's a much bigger like, you know, like Madison Square Garden space. Something about have that in it, having that in an intimate setting just felt cool. Um, so, yeah, being able to tell jokes in a place with history like that 
uh, it felt awesome. That's, That's pretty, pretty cool. sweet. Especially because you're carving your name in, in the history, too. Like, for, by yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, it, it felt different, you know? And, like, I didn't know a lot about, like, the, you know, like, the play nostalgia. So, like, uh, there's, like, little things that, like, I learned about, like, playhouses that day. Like, you know, like, that whole, like, uh, they leave the lamppost on after everyone leaves. Like, I got to see that, you know? So, like, yeah, uh, it was pretty cool. Have you done uh, Have you done any late night at all? Or is that a No, goal? no, that is a, a missing. Well, technically, yes, I had the worst set of my life on a, on a late night show, but the late night show no longer exists. Cool. The one that I did, uh, I did a set on Vice TV okay. uh, that went horrendous, in my opinion, for me. So if you go watch it, it's on YouTube to this day. Okay. Uh, you will see me uh, having a weird discussion with this uh, with this guy in the audience. And I'm trying to, like, develop crowd work with the guy. Doesn't go well. And then, like, I do, like, three minutes of jokes. Now, in the audience and day of, I promise you, people laughed. I had a great set. But it took, like, two to three minutes to get there because I had to do this crowd work. reason I had to do the crowd work is because this was a live uh, news show that they covered half serious topics, half, like, comedy. Okay. So right before me, they were talking about, like, African child abductions, and then they were like, "I right, kick at the gas store for comedy." Oh, I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> I got a pivot here," yeah. you know. So the emotional tone in the room was crazy. Like I had to like get them into a jovial mood, and I only have five minutes to do that. So when you see the set on YouTube now, it looks like, "Oh, gas was doing horrible." I'm not. You don't know what the hell I was starting from. Right. <laughs> you don't know what set me up for this disaster here. Yeah, it was madness. So. The show got canceled, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it was a horrible idea, as in general. Those are things that should not go together. But uh, it was an attempt at doing humor um, in a really odd setting, and that I'm used to in life. I, I've done jokes in weird places, but normally they're not documented for you know seventy thousand people to see on YouTube. But it's there. Hey, that's, what those, <laughs> that's what those classes were that you're talking about. They wanted to put you in the awkward and the. The terrible Amen. situations. Kind of Amen. Back around. Uh, so yeah, like, I mean, next next time I follow a child abduction story, I will be ready. Yeah, no, I, sure. you got the material now. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever gone like completely off script and just went complete, you know, like off the dome when something like that happens? Because I know for me, like probably my most favorite like stand up clip I've ever seen is when Bill Burr was in Philadelphia. They were doing the 24-hour, like, straight yeah. comedy, and they were just booing everything he was saying and stuff. So he's like, all right, fuck you guys. I got, like, 30 minutes left. I'm just going to shit on your sit city for the next 30 <laughs> minutes. And by the end, they were, like, cheering him and stuff. I just remember him saying, you know, your guys' idol's Rocky, who's not even fucking real, you know, like, just shit like that. Have you ever kind of gone off script like that? Hey, man, I would say uh, that happens every day, honestly, like, to some capacity, uh, when you're like doing uh, comedy in New York, there is an element of playfulness that I'm constantly doing because it's a fun way to kind of find material and to create intimacy in the room. Um, I would say every single set I do has like 10 to 15 minutes, 10 to 15 percent part of me of stuff that I didn't plan for, like only can happen in this space once. And I've definitely done sets where like the whole set was just that because it felt right in the moment. Um, admittedly, that's rarely on TV um, because those are really prepped moments. Whereas like like the Bill Burr thing, that wasn't meant to be taped. That's why it's hard to find video of it. Right. You hear like terrible audio uh, from someone's like phone or something like mm -hmm. seeing like a real clear video of that moment. It's difficult because 
It wasn't meant to be taped. It was a show, you know? So, but in turn, that's when you feel the most freedom to do like wild things like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's a blast, man. You have, you have really, really cool moments. Um, like New York, uh, during the last two years, you know, as you know, we had to do nothing but outdoor shows. So I have a set that I did in New York that was in front of 300 people, but in a park. So mid set, somebody walked their dog through the set and we got into a big argument about like the dog's ability to pee on time and in space. And it was very like heady initially because it was like, you know, technically he's in the right, he's in the park, but it's also this 300 people here. You could have walked anywhere else in the one mile radius of this park, yeah. you know, and it was really cool because New Yorkers in general, I think people in general are pro dogs, yeah. right? Most people love pets, yeah. sure. you know, so I turned 200 people into like adamant dog haters <laughs> in 10 minutes, you know, that's a work, but I'm proud of that moment, you know? Yeah. So there's one like, like weird Chihuahua somewhere in Brooklyn that thinks everybody hates them, you know, and for valid reason. I, I'm, Everyone I own just that. It as it walks by. That's funny. <laughs> the, the dog owner just stayed and what you just kind of shit on him as they're like chilling there. She fought back initially, but oh, okay. you know, when 200 people start getting on board with the guy yelling at the dog, you know, eventually you leave. Yeah. But that was my whole set. She walked by one minute into the, the start of my joint and, sh- and the dog caught 15 minutes of heat. <laughs> so That's funny. funny. What's uh what's the largest crowd you ever performed in front of? What would that be? Um Oh, I would say uh uh Kent uh Washington. Um I did a show out there but uh that was a uh, DL Hughley was headlining, so that would be uh, that show had about 8,000 people. Oh, Dang, that's wow. a lot of freaking Yeah, there's <laughs> a there's a stadium out there that uh it's uh like I think it's a minor league hockey stadium, so it was in yeah. whatever stadium is in Kent Washington, I forget where it is. What, what the name of it is, but uh, it just outside of Seattle. It's like their second biggest city, I think. Um, we performed in that stadium. It was a crazy lineup. Um, D.L. Hughley was there, Gary Owen, Little Duval. Didn't he do Wild and Out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, being frank, I've been on TV several times. I was by far the least famous person on this lineup. <laughs> like, I had no business competing with these people. But, uh, yeah, I did a, a set there that was about, like, 15, 20 minutes. Really fun show. It was a, a big festival, big fundraiser. Um, very, very different feeling. Like uh, you perform in front of that pe- that many people. There's like, there's no silence ever. Yeah, uh, there's always noise. Uh, there's your jokes hitting waves. It's really trippy. Like you'll hear the front of the room laugh and then you're starting the next joke. But the back of the stadium is laughing at the first <laughs> it's like thing. like a shockwave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's really different. Uh, so yeah, it was a, a fun learning experience. Uh, but yeah, it was it was dope. Is it harder to perform in front of like a hundred to two hundred people or like that eight thousand crowd? I mean, for me personally, the eight thousand just because of the experience. Being mm-hmm. frank, I I don't do that often. Um, and also, in my opinion, it's not the environment comedy was meant for. I think comedy was meant to be due in front of fifty to four hundred people in basements. Like I think that's the ideal. There should be low roofs because the roof holds the laugh in. It holds sound in. Um, you guys know that. That's why you put up, you know, like the the sound diffusers behind you in yeah. the walls, right? Yep. Yeah. Like there's a reason that, like, comedy, you see it in, like, these basements. More walls, ricochets, the laughs get louder. Stadiums are terrible for that. The laughs go away. They're literally the opposite of what I want. Yeah. I want everyone uncomfortably close. Yeah. 
I want the lights dark and I want as many walls as possible. Right. <laughs> so uh, plus, the more you f- you feel like we're trapped, the more likely the joke is going to go well. Right. But plus, I, I imagine it must be easier to connect with like the 200 people versus like a stadium too, right? Yeah, that's a big part of it, man. It, it, it's, it's important for uh, people to feel like they're there uh, having a moment with you. Um, and by the same token, you want to like uh, – Stadiums are never good with lighting. And there's a like uh, when you're in a stadium, as much as you dim the lights, you can still see the people next to you. And uh, comedy is vulnerable. Nobody wants to admit that they laugh to something first. Um, Like, for example, have you seen like a weird comedy like uh, I don't know if Napoleon Dynamite might be too old, too old for you guys. But there's like, yeah. okay, perfect. So. If you watch Napoleon Dynamite, it feels very different watching it with 10 of your friends when you're a little buzzed versus <laughs> watching it by yourself with one other person in a movie theater that you don't know. Because right. yeah. you're weird. Like, I don't want to laugh if that guy didn't laugh. He doesn't know me. Yeah. But like 10 of your boys, all of you are comfortable with each other. You can laugh. There's no judgment. Yeah. So like something about like being well lit in a place uh, where you can see each other, people are less prone to laugh because... uh. When you laugh, you give away something about yourself. You're letting people know what you connect with. And if they didn't connect, they can judge you. That's why comedy clubs are like dark because you can laugh freely without being judged. It's also why you won't laugh at a dirty joke at work. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. there's jokes that hit that weird and pressure. It, yeah. And it's also why like uh, way more professors and teachers think they're funny than they really are. Cause <laughs> right. like terrible jokes will work in a classroom that's the only joke that'll work there right you know no one will laugh at the other stuff because it won't ever be said (laughs) i didn't think about all that that's all very true yeah i went to a comedy show like last or like two weeks ago and i definitely felt that pressure of just like standing or sitting shoulder to shoulder in like a huge amphitheater and it was like i can tell like if it was like low or low lighting and just lower roofs it would have been like way funnier felt like way more comfortable too yeah, yeah, it's all psychological. It's trippy. Yeah, I I'm blown away by it. And whenever and whenever you see like like I I I love seeing uh, parents hanging out with their siblings. Like uh like watch your parents tell jokes to like your aunt and uncle when they know you're not there. Oh yeah, very it's, different. It's yeah. weird. They're dude. very different because yeah. they know you're not watching. So like the judgment is gone. Of I can't say this in front of my kid because I have a other job, another task to do that you know might present itself so like the audience is constantly thinking of i can't laugh and other people see me laugh at that because i might need to be serious in front of that person later or i might need to be this or that there's other calculations they're doing if you turn off the lights they don't got to worry about that they can just laugh freely yeah that's a good point it's pretty neat so like uh, my kids think i'm serious as hell they they don't know what they they don't know what the hell i do for them dad's a, a serious dude that like runs the house yeah. Bills get paid. I don't know why, but you know, <laughs> he's head honcho, and that's all we know. Yeah, um, they they are blown away that I'm a comedian. It makes no <laughs> sense to them whatsoever. They're like, that dude, nah, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my parents are funny at all, so I can see where they're coming from. But I obviously <laughs> think you're very funny. So <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, your parents are awesome. I promise. Talk yeah. to them dudes when you're not like. Find a friend of your dad's or your mom's. I promise you, the stories they'll tell you are very different. Or just get you some know, drinks they- in them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but kind of shifting gears a little bit here. Uh you've also been in a couple movies, right? When I uh, was searching your name, you were uh on IMDb for like a couple movies or, or is that just- Yeah, it's it's been like independent stuff. It's been like a um I, I did like a, some like award-winning like short but uh 
Thank, uh, nothing major yet. Uh, I've been like I've gone through that process, which has been fun though. Yeah. Have you, are you looking to do uh, more of like voice acting work or more um, like live, you know, acting? Um, honestly, it uh, it's anything that kind of comes up so much as it uh, it it fits my like long term vision of being me. So like, I have no plans of ever being like Denzel. I don't got range. I don't want to have range. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, if you hire me, it's because you want a guy that sounds like he drives a cab in Brooklyn. Like that's my range. That's <laughs> yeah. what I do. You know, uh, so I want to play very niche roles for a reason because, you know, I think it's fun. I want to do something different. But uh, in terms of uh, on screen stuff, I think it's it's a beautiful art form. But I respect that it's different than mine. You know, um, I uh, with rare exception, I think most people um, try to do too many things. Um, I think you should find the thing that you want to do and be as close to godly as you can be in that thing. Um, I think mine is on stage making people laugh. Uh, I'll definitely do a cartoon, you know, but I, I'm, if we're doing Lion King, I'm more likely to be like a Timon or a Pumbaa than I am to be Simba. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It shouldn't be my story. Uh, so, yeah. Doing something different. Are you going to get or have you got into the whole like YouTube or, or the TikTok or the social media, like posting the short clips of your your work? Yeah, I've started to uh, first. uh when my podcast, I've been really good about doing uh, that Shout on YouTube. Out. I posted a weekly, uh, The War Report, hosted with the homie uh, Shalay with Shaw. Uh, so that comes out every week. Thankfully, I've been good with that. And uh, my son actually made me commit uh, starting June. I have to post weekly on YouTube. He wants me to start a vlog. I'm starting a vlog. You're going to get the whole experience. I got like four GoPro cameras next to me. So I'm going to literally start documenting way too much of my life. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get that weekly. And I'm supposed to do, he said, two TikToks a day. A day? So all of that starts June 1st. Man, he's coaching you. <laughs> Hell yeah, he's awesome. He's invaluable. He's going to keep eating well in my life. Okay, if, so, you need, if you need some of these clips for your for your YouTube content, let us know. I'll send you some over. I appreciate you, homie. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Have you already started? Are you, like, banking up? Or are you starting, like, June 1st? All right, we're getting to work. June 1st is when I have to be launching. So I've been doing this the whole time. Like, okay. literally, like, Start. this is... Uh, to show y'all, this is my desk. So this is what I got to take with me every day when I leave the house. She so said I got to document all the stuff, and then like he's I'm I'm learning all of this. I sound way older than I am, <laughs> but uh, he uh watches YouTube daily, and uh, he's been telling me that like I'm supposed to document the day and yeah. then do like direct the camera stuff, explaining what's happening, but fun. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. So, I think getting into that stuff like. Uh, pre-show I, I don't think a lot of comics document that stuff and that that could definitely be an avenue where you know you could you already have a name in, in the comedy world oh well yeah is now documenting his pre-show routine how he writes his material stuff like that and that could you know take off in today's world for sure that's the plan so you're gonna see uh on youtube you're literally gonna see like uh me hanging out at the comics table uh before and after shows i'm gonna i'm hoping to post up at least once a week um, I kind of have to apparently <laughs> starting yeah. June first, uh, but yeah, I'm also and uh, the TikTok stuff is going to be a lot of like uh, mini stories. I've got about twenty recorded so far, um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a literally post two a day starting June first. Hella high water, so uh, let's let, let's see. Should be fun. Well, uh, we'll get ready to consume them. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah let's do it. <laughs> um, before before we kind of wrap up here, I just had a couple like rapid fire questions. First one is: Have you ever had like? Is there a crazy fan encounter that you have? Uh, all the time. Worst uh, fan encounter was uh, I brought my wife to a show 
uh, somebody in the audience found out that she was my wife. Uh, we had an intermission and they asked her where she was sitting. Um, she said, I'm not sure. And they offered her a seat on their lap. Uh, oh, <laughs> very, very fun. weird. Yeah. Older lady. Nothing uh, crazy. Oh, like, really? uh, nothing crazy. Like, Chappelle, though, right? Like no, no, no. It wasn't sexual. She uh, literally got nervous and did not know that that would sound weird as hell to offer another grown person a lap uh, seat. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. she was like a 70 year old woman, uh, uh, like telling my wife that, uh, hey, the, we can share. And uh, my wife was like, <laughs> no, that weird. is odd. And I will crush you. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> let's That's leave funny. that alone. No one's come on, uh, on stage and slapped you, though, right? No, no, that would be a very uh, big L on their fault. Uh, I've uh, I'm 300 pounds and I've boxed uh, regularly for the last 12 years. So I'm welcoming it. I'm actually putting it out there. If you would like <laughs> to slap me, bring it. Yeah, I will yeah. challenge Don't you. The security. I was going to say, it's, yeah. a, it's a pretty common thing now with comics, it seems like. Because yeah. Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, like, the last, what, four weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Both of them attacked on stage. I, I welcome it. Bring it on if you would like to live shortly. <laughs> Uh, it, it, <laughs> definitely yeah, won't yeah. be laughing it off like Chris Rock <laughs> at all. No, I'm gonna make jokes still later, but yeah. uh, you will be at the dentist. <laughs> um, the next question was Has there been one moment, rather, it was um, doing stuff with Comedy Central or doing the 8,000 person crowd? Has there been one moment where you you kind of sat there and in the moment you were like, Wow, I, I think I've made it, or is that not happened yet? And what in the future, what is a moment where you could? where you envision that kind of that mindset? Yeah. Uh, I think there's like steps, right? Uh, the, uh, the first one would be the day, um, the, the night of my second, uh, comedy central taping. Um, when the, when I went back to do, this is not happening in LA. Um, it wasn't so much the taping itself. Uh, the reason I felt like I made it was, uh, my wife came with me this time. And when we were walking out of the taping, uh, there was a line for the next shows uh, for the evening tapings and the audiences knew who I was. So like, it was just cool that my wife got to see that it's real, you mm -hmm. know, cause um, as much as she knows and I check in and let her know what's happening in order for me to do comedy, she has to stay home with my kids. So she doesn't get to live it. Uh, so it was like really beautiful to me that she got to kind of see and experience like fans and see people like, yo, I love what your husband do. It's like does, take you your know? kid to so, work day. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so it was beautiful i would say that's up there uh the only close second would be uh, uh i did a, i do a story i did a story on pbs about uh when my wife was pregnant um uh driving through like uh 90 don't going over 90 miles per hour and like getting tickets to get her a dessert um mm -hmm. and it was completely clean i did no curses in it mm -hmm. um so it was the first time i got to show what i do to my kids that's uh, so awesome, it was man. cool for them you know do you have um a personal favorite joke or a story you tell? Uh, I would say uh, my favorite uh, story I tell is on um, Immigrant Made. It's on my album. It's a story about uh, my grandfather. Um, he, uh, when he moves to uh, uh, New York, he heard his his uh, kids, my uncles, uh, complaining about break-ins into the houses in the neighborhood. Uh, so he uh, told them that what they should do is uh, buy a bunch of chickens and put them all over the yard. And they did not understand why that would work. Uh, so he just kept buying chickens and we ended up with like a thousand chickens in the backyard. It's a real story. It's a real story. And uh, <laughs> somebody broke into the yard after like nine months 
and they tripped on the chickens and it made a ton of noise. And then all of like my uncles went up, beat up the guy, called the cops and the guy got arrested. <laughs> and we had to explain to police officers why there were a thousand chickens in a random backyard in Brooklyn. <laughs> and we t- and they went to talk to my grandfather. My grandfather said, yeah, I did that on purpose because chickens make noise, you know. So when someone goes into your house, you can't do so when there's chickens there. You can't tiptoe around a thousand chickens. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a weird chickens. security alarm system. <laughs> Uh, so it was effective, uh, is what I'm saying. Sounds like <laughs> but, it, yeah. yeah. So. I do like a 10 minute version of that, uh, kind of showing the whole thought process he went through on my album. Yeah, That's pretty sweet. Was there any, uh, like crowd work moments that kind of stood out to you? Like anything where you like just completely like shit on someone or like you just like choked in some way that like, yeah, I mean, memorable? I don't, so I don't necessarily like believe in the whole like uh, shit on people often thing. I've developed this weird philosophy with that, right? Like uh, if you're yelling at my show, it's because you're overly enthusiastic. So I'm on board. I want to know what's going on. Also, I got to repeat what you said. Otherwise, if I just start shitting on you, the audience just thinks, oh, this dude's mean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it can definitely uh, come I, off the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to like figure out ways around that. But uh, usually like they work out well. Um, the, the most recent show, uh, we had like eight women from like, uh, I want to say from Maine, who were there in New York for like a bachelorette party. They were just overly happy that their friend was getting married. Mm. And I explained to her why it wasn't going to work. And we <laughs> spent like 10 minutes on the likelihood that their relationship was going to fail. And she didn't believe me. I was, I was telling her the math. I was like, yo, 50% of marriages fail. She's like, my marriage is going to make it. I was like, I promise you 50% of them fail. Yours isn't going to make it. And she said, why not? And we went through the list of her friends. I was like, you got you got seven people with you. There's eight friends. And I went down the list, and it turns out that three of them were divorced. Four of them were married. I said, you the break-even point. So, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. It was amazing. Yeah, and, I, and, you know, again, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I started asking the questions. It was an awesome moment. Just that's sets sweet. it up perfectly when something like that goes down. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, but my last question is just if you could give one piece of advice or you know a few to somebody who wants to get into the stand up world, what would it be for them? Yeah, uh, write constantly. It's the one thing you can control, um, and get up as much as you can. Uh, that one's harder to control because, like you know, for example, if you are in Boise, I'm assuming there's not that many open mics available. Mm-hmm. Um, get up every time they they offer them, but the writing thing you can do that. There's no one stopping you. Get up daily. Uh, but, uh, if you can move to a place that allows you to do the stage time there, I, there there's a reason every comic moves to New York. It's not cause, uh, the coolness of it. It's not cause you're going to be seen by TV. It's cause there's an unlimited amount of stage time here. You can get up. There's literally like a hundred shows every day. Damn. And I'm like, I'm not saying that as an exaggerated number. I promise you, if you ask me, I can find 100 open mics in New York tonight. That is insane. Like that is unmatched by any other city. So if you want to practice the craft, uh, do the two things that you can do right every day and get on stage as often as you can. Um, And when your city caps that move to a city that allows you to do it more. All right. That's nice advice. Yeah. I've always wanted to do some stand up comedy. I just had a fear of just, I know I got to like build up the courage and stuff just (laughs) just to go right. I should write something too first, but I think everybody should try it, A. B, 
I, I, I think anyone that wants to try it should make sure they do it. I don't even care if you do it for a living yeah. just because it's a, it's such an easy thing to check off of your like bucket list. Like how, did, how is like literally sign up for a mic, go talk for five minutes. The worst thing that's going to happen, Ross, you eat it, you eat it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but guess yeah. what? It's done in five minutes. And on top of that, no one else in that audience will ever remember you if you bomb. That's very I true. promise that's you true. have the worst set of your life. In fact, I would challenge you to do that, Ross. Go to a show and talk gibberish. <laughs> Say words bomb. backwards, <laughs> completely bomb. Yeah, and I promise you, literally, but then go back the next week. None of those people will be there again. It'll be a whole new set of people. They'll never remember. You'll be like a random story in one date, one couple's like life <laughs> story at most. And that's yeah. if that couple makes it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> just yeah. a funny story good. at dinner parties. Yeah. yeah, that's the literal worst thing. And they won't even be able to describe you anymore. You'll be a different person. So do it. It, it, it does not hurt. It's the easiest thing to check off the bucket list. And then from there, you'll be able to do it fearlessly because you already experienced the worst. That's very true. Yeah, maybe I got to <laughs> do that soon then. I'll there definitely take Matter you up fact, on that. Next time I'm in Boise, that's what you're doing. You're going to do an open oh, mic. Yeah, okay? right, dude, I'm down for that. <laughs> Heck yeah. Let's do it up. We'll I'll go to a mic it. together, Ross. I'm definitely down for that. I'll start writing content now. <laughs> Amen. Let's do it. I'm going to hold you to that. Oh, yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, just thanks again for for coming on. This was yeah. uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, before we before we end things here, what what do you got coming up next? Uh, obviously, you're going to be more involved on TikTok and social media. Um, any tour shows? Anything coming up? And where can we find you on socials? Yeah, man, you can find me on all social media at Gastromonte. Um, anytime I, uh, all my tour dates and stuff like that, I post on my Instagram. My TikTok and YouTube channel will be going nuts June 1st. You got my word on that. If I don't, bomb me online, okay? Go crazy. <laughs> Hold me right. to that standard, I promise. Uh, but yeah, uh, in terms of other things, I have uh, I can't say that contractually. I got some coming out on TV later. This should be fun. I'll be announcing that soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everything I got going on, you will see it posted on my socials at Gastromonte. And check out my podcast, The War Report with Shalewa Sharp and Gastromonte. It's us literally like talking over the news and we kind of update you on what's going on in our uh, day-to-day life as comedians. That's what's up. Hopefully oh, yeah. we uh, hopefully we see you on Fallon or, or SNL here in the next uh, coming years. Amen. Soon enough. Yeah, it'll happen. Absolutely. I can see it. <laughs> awesome. Manifest it. Um, yeah, thanks again for, for coming on. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. We're super excited to see uh, see where, where the f- future takes you. Um, Amen. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Oh, take care of y'all. Real pleasure rocking with all of y'all. Riles, Raws, Danger. Y'all the homies. Hope to see y'all soon. Thank you. Thank you, you as too. well. Y'all have a good one, all right? You as well. Thanks. Thank you for watching. Uh, and until next time, you never know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the You Never Know Podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe to our pod and follow us on our socials at You Never Know Podcast. Until next time, you never know.